Welcome to the I-29 MUU Dairy Podcast. I-29 MUU University is a consortium of land-grant universities in Minnesota, Iowa, South Dakota, and Nebraska. This podcast covers timely news, information, and research for today's dairy industry. On this episode of the I-29 MUU University Podcast, we'll be discussing kind of overcrowding in dairy barns with a with the high cost of milk and, of course, feed costs are up, there's a lot of discussion about how many extra cows I can put in my barn. Kind of seems when milk prices are low, we overcrowd. When milk prices are high, we overcrowd. So my name is Jim Sulfur. I'm with the University of Minnesota. Co-hosting with me today is Fred Hall. He's in with Northwest Iowa Extension. Welcome, Fred. Thank you. Always a privilege to, to be here. And this is one of those topics today that I think is really pertinent for right now. Yeah, and our guest today is Albert DeVries. Dr. DeVries is a professor, and he's at the University of Florida, pretty common in in dairy circles. Uh, Albert, do you want to talk a little bit about your work you've been doing with overcrowding or have done in the past with overcrowding? Yeah, thank you for having me in this uh, podcast. Um, Yeah, several years ago, we try to look at uh, what is the economics of overcrowding, because obviously there's uh, some principles that if you add more cows to a pen or to a barn, you know, you have more cows to produce milk. And on the other hand, uh, all these cows together are maybe going to be a little bit less happy and uh, make less milk. And so that is an economic optimization problem. And we decided to dig a little bit into the literature and see if we could build a model. And so that's uh, what we did. We built a, built a little model on the, the revenues, what are the costs of overstock. So what did you find were some of the negative impacts of overcrowding when you look through the literature? Because it's, it seems like it's kind of all over the place and some farms really seem to be able to overcrowd. Some really struggle if they overcrowd at all. Yeah, so when we look through the literature, mostly general dairy science, right? I mean, there's so a few things struck us. One, right, most of the studies looked at uh, loss in milk, okay, when you overcrowd. There's a lot less data on overcrowding effect on, say, injuries or reproduction, health, and so on. And secondly, there were not a lot of studies. And maybe third, the studies that there were we're always done with a, a sh- short-term experiment. You know, folks would say, over, let's overstock a pen like a month and then go back to non-overstocking. So if overstocking has consequences for cows sort of in the long term, you may not capture those if you're just looking at a short-term response to overstocking. So collectively, we thought that uh, in, the, in the scientific literature, the effect of overstocking on, on cow performance, mostly milk production and health reproduction, is actually not very well documented. We had to work with, you know, whatever we could find, put them in our model, and then we had to do a lot of what-if analysis. What if milk loss is actually greater than what we find in literature and so on? What does that then to do to overstocking? When, you know, I'm out and looking and talking about overstocking, the first thing I start to look at is, is there a defect? in the stalls themselves? Are they not sized right for the cows? If there's a problem there and you put more cows, I would assume that's a bad thing. 
Yeah, that's a, yeah. You make some some good points there, right? I mean, so let me start with when we looked at uh, stocking density, we looked at the cows per stall in a pen, right? And so an, another way of looking at stocking density is: is does does do cows have enough space to eat, right? Like if you look at six row barns, they're feeding space maybe the more primary measure of stocking density when it comes to you know are cows actually using stalls i mean one of the things you could say well a lot of stalls are being used well as a result because we have a lot of cows in the pen it may not be the case that these stalls are actually very well designed right so you could say oh our stalls are well designed because they're all used and yes, we have overstocked. So that's sort of a, because these cows feel a need to lay down. And so even if the stall is not well designed, they may find, find a spot that if you took cows out, they'd use these stalls a lot less. Some of the things I think about are, are, are all the stalls really pretty good quality stalls. The other thing I think about that you touched on a little bit was, I think, you know, it's so multifactorial on why some farms can overcrowd and some can't. One of the things I think about is, you know, are heifers and cows separated? If you have them in one group, the cows are always, the heifers are always going to lose, right? And so I think there's some keys if you are going to overstock or some questions you need to ask yourself, am I Am I in the right position to overstock or Albert or Fred, are there any other experiences you've had in working with farmers that would dictate how much you could overcrowd or whether you could overcrowd or not in your barn? Yeah, I wish when we looked at the literature, right, it, it was not to us very clear if we if, if, if overstocking independent with just heifers or just cows would be have different effects on milk loss versus a pen where you have both first lactation and older cows together. I wish we could separate that out better because then the economics uh, might turn out a little different if you just had first lactation cows together versus older cows versus a combination of those. And I, I also go back to that, that the data we had was sort of incomplete because when I talked about overstocking several years ago, People tell me, yeah, but you get more injuries if you put cows together overstocked, okay? And so, I mean, if those injuries are not um, expressed in less milk or poor fertility or maybe even some more forced culling, then we've sort of underestimated that effect on, uh, on the overstocking economic. Yeah, I think you're right. It's just, it is really hard to kind of determine and it is puzzling. And, you know, of course, I'll hear from farmers that, well, you know, cows need to lay down half the day. So that, in theory, means that I can overstock by a quite a bit because if half the cows are standing, half of them are lying. But I'm not sure. I'm not sure that really plays out. Number one, cows kind of like to all lay down in the evening. You know, if we look at a robot data or if you go in a freestall barn, go in the middle of the night. It's not like half your cows are standing and eating at the feed bunk. And so I think we also have to take into account a little bit of cows' natural behavior and how they like to interact with each other. And so I, I'm not sure what the right answer is, but I think that we really need to, to contemplate. Fred or Albert, if you have any other ideas, some of the things I think about, 
you know, and of course you have this issue, is your heat abatement good? I think you've really got to have pretty good heat abatement if you're going to try and overcrowd. You know, and I think you talked about bunk space. Did you find anything in the literature, Albert, as you were looking? Because, you know, if I if I look in a Journal of Dairy Science book or recommended, they need 24 inches of bunk space. I have a hard time going in a barn and finding 24 inches of bunk space. They just, like you said, these three-row pens or six-row barns, they're probably at 18 inches if they're not overcrowding. So is there any good data that says realistically at what point is bunk space limiting? I don't know of data that says when bunk space is limiting, right? If, I think if you hear, you know, about it ought to be 24 inches, that means that if you go shorter than 24 inches, if, if we're looking at feeding space, you start to lose milk. Well, the whole economics of stocking density is we accept that an individual cow produce a little less milk, but we make up for that and some more by adding more cows in the pen, right? So everything when it comes to stocking density basically says we accept to a certain extent that these cows being overcrowded per cow, we're actually losing some, right? The question is, I mean, I follow the economic principle, you know, we make up more in the pen. The pen is really our constraint here but we make up with more cows in that same pen than we're losing per individual cow. So you can't just look at, you know, an, an individual factor and says per cow, ideally she gets 24 inches. No, I mean, she probably lost 36 inches, right? If it was her to choose. Uh, so we do accept to a certain level that actually cow performance, milk production uh, drops. I mean, that's the whole foundation really of getting to the the economics of, of stocking density i think the other thing you got to kind of think about uh from that standpoint if you look at the literature when you overcrowd cows what happens is they eat faster you know rick grants did some of that data a few years ago and i i liken it to um i had a a good family friend growing up that they had 12 children in their family and I remember one night going over to their place for supper and their mom made two full chickens and we're all sitting around the table. And this good friend of mine, I just looked at him. I said, well, you know, how does this work? I mean, it, it just, he said, I'll tell you what, you grab and you eat fast or you don't get anything. He said, that's how it works around here. So I think, well, that's maybe a little bit with the way cows are overcrowded. You, there's a, sort of a limited amount of bunk space. And so you got to eat fast. So you get your share. So the neighbor doesn't get it. I don't know if that's a good analogy, but I think that, I think that does affect a little bit the behavior of cows. And I think that then it will prompt the dairyman, you know, if he's running that boat once a day, it ain't going to work if he's adds 20% over it. He's going to have to fill it twice a day and sweep it more times than he has maybe traditionally just to make sure those timid cows can still get into the stall and eat something. Yeah, that probably that makes sense to me, right? And then if you didn't feed him often enough, the, the loss per cow with overstocking become a bigger number. And then economically, they'd say, oh, let's not overstock as much because we're just penalizing these cows too much if a limiting factor is, you know, their, their feed intake. Yeah, I think it's one of those things, Fred, to tie in what you're saying. You got to make sure there's feed along the entire bunk, too. I mean, cows, again, if you look at some of the cow behavior data, cows prefer to kind of eat in the same spot. And so if one end of the bunk is empty, 
three or four hours a day, you can always make the argument, well, a cow can go to another area of the bunk and eat. But there might be other cows in that area too. So you really need to really have top, top management. And that's one thing I I see, I guess, as I go to farms, the guys that do tend to overcrowd a little bit more than, and, and seem to be able to get, get away with that. At least they have really high production. We could always argue whether it'd be higher. But boy, they do everything right every single day. And Fred, you had commented, they feed multiple times per day and or push up really often and make sure there's plenty of feed there. You know, I, Albert, I think your spreadsheet is really interesting. When I, I just want to confirm this with you, and I don't know if it's right or not, but I put in $25 milk. I don't know if that's the right price, depends on where you're at in the country. Um, I put in 14 cents per pound of dry matter for feed. And it seems like you can afford to lose maybe one to two pounds. Um, when I put three pounds of loss in, then my ideal stocking density becomes about 115 to 120%. Once I get above three pounds per cow per day loss, you can't overcrowd at all. Does that seem to kind of make sense that you can maybe lose one to two pounds when you're overstocking and it that level is acceptable, maybe is the right term, at least from a profitability standpoint? Yeah, you're asking, uh, you bring us some important points, right? In the in the math that we did, and we did economics on this, right? I think we said, um, you know, per 10% or so, they lose, say, two pounds per day. And that means if you overstock 20%, they would lose four pounds. If you overstock 30%, six pounds, right? So it's a linear loss, okay? And we're not sure if that's the case, right? Maybe when we overstock a little bit, the loss is not very great per percent overstocking. And if we get to high overstocking densities, maybe this sort of accelerated, increased losses, essentially. We just assumed it was a linear uh, loss. And indeed, the overstocking, uh, what is optimal is very sensitive to, you know, what the milk loss is. And so, it's actually quite sensitive to really income over feed cost, right? So you mentioned milk price, you mentioned feed uh, price. So that is a big difference. If milk prices go to feed is cheap, we have high income over feed cost, it actually pays to overstock more. Okay, if milk price is lower, if feed costs are higher and or when income over feed cost shrinks, you actually, it does not pay to overstock as much. And I think that is also a principle they're going to have to get used to, right? I think we're sort of, the idea is that, oh, milk price is low. I have to make up for it by putting more cows in the barn. That's actually the wrong response, okay? That's the wrong response. Milk price is low. You want to actually reduce the number of cows because your overstocking doesn't pay for itself as much. In today's world, I mean, we're looking at high milk prices as we speak. You know, feed costs are high too, but I think income over feed costs is still pretty healthy compared to the past. And actually in today's world, it actually pays to overstock and more than, you know, in, in average price terms. Yeah, I think the reason for that is that we've got that maintenance costs. And if we assume 10 to 15 pounds of feed it takes to maintain a cow at 14 cents per pound of dry matter, I think that's pretty close depending upon where you're at. You know, that's probably costing you a dollar and a half to two dollars for every cow you maintain. So if you lose milk, you've got to feed all those extra cows. Another thing I hear a lot of in the country as they're talking about is um, 
pounds of milk or pounds of solids per stall. And I just was playing around um, with Albert's spreadsheet. And then I created a little table looking at overcrowd. And it's possible that you could overcrowd and keep overcrowding and you actually sell more milk out the door, but you actually could be making less money. And so I think we can't assume just because we're selling more milk in the bulk tank. And this is not in, this is pretty intuitive to farmers. I often go to farms and they'll comment, well, you know, I sold, I sold 10 cows or I dried up 10 cows and my bulk tank stayed the same or my bulk tank went up or my bulk tank dropped a hundred pounds. Well, intuitively they know if that happens, those extra cows were not making them any money. They were probably losing money with those extra cows, but it's a little harder to quantify when you've kind of got an ongoing herd. Given the choice, anybody would love to make the same amount of milk with fewer cows, right? So that, that sort of makes sense. And obviously there is a cost of making that, that extra milk, right? So you can't just look at, hey, milk in the tank and I have a milk price. No, there's a cost to actually making that milk. And if you have to do it with more cows, right? That means more cows that need to eat to maintain themselves. There's obviously replacement costs, right? I bring in a more expensive heifer than a co-cow is eventually. So there's definitely a cost to making that milk. We can't just not look at only the volume of milk or, you know, the milk solids that we make. Say, let's consider the difference between a Holstein herd at 1,600 pounds and a Jersey herd at 1,300 pounds. Are we then looking at a different scenario or how do we plug that into this model oh that's a very good question right so what you're asking basically would the stock stocking density look different for a jersey herd versus a holstein herd because the jerseys are smaller um i mean the jerseys make a little bit more solids right too per per pound of uh, of milk oh i mean Honestly, I really have to think about talking density in herds being the economics on milk price of feed costs the same is different than in than in Holsteins. Well, it would, I would assume that our maintenance on those cows, because they're smaller, is lower. But then the, we might find that, you know, we haven't really changed the solids per stall per day uh, because of that the higher solids. I don't know. I just didn't know if you had that answer or not. Yeah, I think that's a good point, Fred. I don't know if it changes it a lot, but it could potentially change it a little bit. I mean, their behavior is quite a bit different. I don't know if that's a good or a bad thing. <laughs> no, you're, you're asking, uh, you know, interesting questions. Yeah, I, I even struggle to think if, 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 if there's a principle that says, on the Jersey herd, stocking density ought to be lower or higher than on the Holstein herd, given that you know uh, no price of feed cost uh, would be the same, only adjusting for the smaller Jersey, so she needs less maintenance cost. Hmm. I got to pause on this and think about this. Yeah, it's a, it's really an interesting thought. If that really would make a difference in the optimum culling percent or not but the the big thing when i when i played around with their model and well uh, if you're interested in it it is available on the website you can just google it overstocking model or something it's not like this is top secret it's available somewhere on the internet isn't it albert yeah it's um 
Right. So uh, if you Google, I think you may have to Google for um, stall stocking density calculator. And um, there is, it's actually listed at the University of Florida Dairy Extension site. So if you go to University of Florida Dairy Extension, then somewhere we have uh, a subfolder, spreadsheets and tools. And within that, there is stall stocking density calculator. But I think if you Google stall stocking density calculator with my name, you'll find it too. And what you'll find, you'll find a spreadsheet. You can do some what if scenarios with. And I think we have about five papers uh, related to this study. One is the, the Journal of Dairy Science paper where we published the model. And there's like four other uh, publications, four conferences and so on that talked about uh, some of the findings with this model. Yeah, what I really like about it with the spreadsheet models, it's not Albert or I or Fred telling you what the right answer is. I think you can play around with this. And if you don't believe what I'm telling you or somebody else telling you, use your own numbers. And of course, the, the tricky part of the model, I think, Albert, I think we can all agree is this milk loss. And how do you come with it? And I, Albert, you had mentioned it earlier. It is shocking to me, maybe not shocking, how much one or two or three pounds of milk difference makes. If you're only going to lose a pound of milk, uh, keep crowding them. If you're going to lose more than three pounds of milk, you're in trouble. I mean, it's sort of it in a nutshell. So there's a pretty narrow range in reality. So I guess my point, what, what I was not surprised at, I guess, is you can't lose very much milk per cow and overstocking doesn't pay very much. Yeah, those are those are good observations, right? And I think that milk loss that you that's part of the calculator is very farm dependent. I already mentioned that when we did this study, we were looking in the literature that is, you know, people have done studies and quantified how much milk a cow loses or, you know, if we overstock. But uh, that data was variable and not very strong. But even if we had found an average there, right? I think if you go to an individual farm, you still find that milk loss varies a lot, you know, from one farm to the next, depending on overstocking. So, I mean, I, I like your suggestion, you know, you got to sort of, you know, do these analysis uh, with your own dairy in mind. Uh, and hopefully you can do that with this calculator. Yeah, one of the common themes I see of people that seem like they successfully overstocked, we talked about a lot of it, except maybe one area. They never, ever, ever overcrowd close-up cows or just fresh cows. You know, it seems like they really, those cows, those are kind of in sacred groups. Those close-up cows, they really get plenty of bunk stays. They calve them in. Once they get off and really get milking well, you know, so they're up and they're through that transition stage, then it seems like cows can take overcrowding a little bit better. But boy, those cows right around calving, first the couple weeks before calving and maybe a couple weeks after calving, they're really, they, they handle those cows with really kid gloves until they're up and aggressive. Do either of you have comments on that? Yeah, let me start. Yeah, that's a, I'm glad you bring this up uh, because the calculator that we built here is really for cows past the transition period. We stayed away from cows around calving 
also, you know, hearing from, from experts, you don't want to overstock those. So we did not even attempt to do economics on those. So really, you know, the calculator is for cows that are uh, past fresh, but maybe, you know, at the at, at, at start of breeding and later. So, you know, if you look at, okay, I want to overstock at 120%, you've got to backtrack that because to have that many cows, you may have to change your close-up pen, how it looks, or you may have to split your transition pen and divide out your mature cows and heifers just because the numbers that you're throughputting through those pans. That makes sense? Yeah, I think that becomes a little bit of a vicious circle, Fred. You're right. If, if I want to overcrowd my later lactation cows or decide to do it 20% and all of a sudden, long term, I've got 20% more fresh cows and I've got 20% more dry cows. And I've got, so you really gotta be, it's almost a coordinated effort. It's a little like cropping, right? You get more land, well, you need bigger tractors. So which comes first? It's sort of this chicken and egg thing, right? Which comes first? Do I, do I focus on getting my transition cow program right? And then maybe overcrowd it. It really, I mean, it's, it's, it's kind of tricky. We're making light of it, but it's a little bit tricky. Yeah, yeah, no, I, I love the thinking there, right? And so, I mean, so how do you get to overstocking too, right? I mean, do you have heifers available? Are you culling yeah. cows less, right? I mean, I'm not always, I'm not sure you should just not cull cows anymore because you want to overstock, right? It really depends on what cows you're milking too. In, in the math we did, it was just, we just had sort of our magically more cows available that we put in. In pens. And we didn't really think through the logistics that, that Fred is mentioning that, hey, if I overstock for a while, guess what, you know, if we, uh, you know, there's more cows in the dry pens, there's more cows moving through transition, and we better, you know, have space for those cows too. Yeah, I think this is a, this would be another topic for another podcast, but I think you stink about that too, Albert, is, you know, there's some data that says our cows don't have to be dry 60 days, they can be dry 45 days. Well, from a profitability standpoint, are we can are we better off having our cows 60 days because they're going to milk at the end of lactation to replace a cow that lasts 30 days or 25 days with a fresh cow? Do we make more money in our barn doing that? Of course, then we've got to feed her when she's dry. So there's a lot of these other little things that it's maybe not as cut and dried as it might appear to from the outside, there's a lot of math that goes into determining which of those strategies is a little more profitable, just like overcrowding. What is the most optimum for your herd? Right. And so it's one thing to, for us to say as academics, as folks in the field to say, we know how to calculate it. It's an entire, it's a different thing of, well, how much milk do my cows lose, right? On one herd or what is, you know, how much milk do I lose, for example, if you think in terms of dry period length, if my dry period length is shorter or longer, right? So we still have to be very good at, at measuring performance of cows and how the performance of cows responds to what we do with them, it being stocking density, that being dry period length, that be overstocking or not, right, in the transition period. So that quantification of the, of the performance of the cow based on what we do with her, that is sort of key. And then the math sort of almost follows from that automatically, but we better have the, the quantification done right. 
it's a little bit of an advantage of the spreadsheet builders, right? You can do some what if scenarios, right? Let's say what if I'm a little bit wrong on the numbers that I put in there. What if I don't quite know how much milk I lose? Well, I can play with three pounds. I can play with one pound. I can play with four pounds and see what it does to my stocking density. Uh, optimal. And sometimes you find that, um, yes, the optimal stocking density might change some, but the reality is that if you go from, say, 10% overstocking to 25% overstocking, dollars per, per stall really does not make a lot of difference. So I think we can get very, you know, excited sometimes about what is the optimum. But really, another question we ought to ask, what do we lose if we're not optimum? And if that is sort of a not a big loss, then really, I wouldn't really worry too much about not being optimum uh, in a theoretical sense. Yeah, it is kind of tricky. I mean, I think it goes back to it's amazing for all the science we've got and all the calculators. And I really like these models because they do just what you said, Albert, they do what ifs. But a lot of this kind of falls down to sort of animal husbandry, intuition, just observing your cows, watching your bulk tank, how healthy are they? Are you getting more lame cows? I think, you know, we really don't, I think, still have really good data analysis tools to identify some of this very well yet. It seems like eventually I suspect we might be getting there. No, that's that's correct, right? I think if you just ask, you know, on the can we really measure how cows respond to stocking density on an individual farm? I don't think we can easily dig through the data and find what that response for this farm is. So, yeah, that either means, you know, better tools, but it probably becomes a complicated tool still. And we all know there's, a, you know, more complicated is not always better. You know, we've talked about a lot of really good information and ideas uh, as we start to wind up today's podcast. Uh, why don't each of you take a, a take-home point? You know, if somebody comes to you, what are you going to tell them to first look at? Yeah, I mean, some, some, some key take-homes when we put this calculator together, right? And, and we've just, just come up through the podcast that the optimal stocking density looking at cows per stall really depends on, on milk loss. So we got to be see if we can uh, have, have a, you know, that the farm specific uh, number there. And then secondly, it depends a lot on um, income over feed cost, essentially milk price and, and, and feed price. And if that is a big difference, if milk is high, if feed is low, then overstocking pays. If that is a small difference, income over feed cost is low, either because milk is low or feed is high, overstocking does not pay. And I think we've learned from talking with folks that if milk price is low, farms have a reaction says, oh, I got to milk more cows. Okay, and maybe that's true if you want to dilute your fixed assets, but it's not the right thing to then put more cows in the same pen when income over feed cost is low because the marginal value of that extra cow is uh, is low when, when income over feed cost is low. So. These calculators really help you help you think through, you know, what way does my overstocking move when some of these prices change? Yeah, my, my only comments, Fred's, would be is if you're going to do this, don't necessarily do what your neighbor is saying or somebody that you maybe heard. You really got to think about how do I manage my transition cows? 
You got to be really, really good at that. I think you had mentioned it earlier, Fred. You've got to be really good at bunk management. And I think you've just got to really watch your cows. And a lot of this is kind of intuition. You got to have a really good health, foot health program. You've got to have really good heat abatement. You can't have your cow standing in holding areas real long. So part of it is, uh, it's like the adage, farmers, you know, try to break as many rules as you can and don't hurt your cows. And so overcrowding is one of those rules. If you're an overcrowded quite a bit, you're going to be breaking a rule. I mean, but that better mean that everything else on your farm is perfect. And that might be why your neighbor either can or cannot overcrowd, but why your overcrowding might be different than your neighbor's. So another thing, um, you know, we want to be considerate about, right, I think is that to some extent is welfare on cows. Mm-hmm. I mean, if you add too many cows in a pen, that does not help welfare for individual cows, right? And I'm not, not sure what the right number is, but if you look at metrics that people might use as, you know, can my cows, do they have always access to lay in a stall? Can they go eat, right? All of these sort of welfare metrics are a little bit, uh, you know, affected, obviously, if you put too many cows in a stall, right? And I think in today's world, I think we got to be considerate of the welfare aspects of cattle, too. Absolutely. I, I think that's, I think at some point, we'll not be allowed to overcrowd at, at some point. Yeah. And I think even in Denmark, there's there's laws in the books that you are not allowed to overcrowd. So that's not here, but surely there's, there's places where they think in terms of overcrowding, in terms of welfare for cattle. Well, I appreciate being able to visit with you two gentlemen on a topic that I think is going to become more and more considered as dairymen see this $25 milk and $8 corn come into play. Uh, We will, in fact, put a link to the calculator that we were discussing. So if you are going to go back and listen to this uh, podcast, there will be a link you can click on and go directly to uh, the calculator. Again, thank you, gentlemen. We appreciate it. We appreciate the folks who are listening. And uh, we'll talk to you again with the next podcast. We'd like to thank our 2022-23 Annual I-29 sponsors, Iowa Corn Growers Association and t Dairy Video Sales. Learn more about Iowa Corn Growers Association at iowacorn.org. Learn more about t Dairy Video Sales at tlaydairyvideosales.com. I-29 MUU is an equal opportunity provider for the full non-discrimination statement or accommodation inquiries, go to extension.iastate.edu forward slash diversity forward slash ext.